Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord as written in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. Well, you probably would not know this and almost certainly would not guess it to look at me, uh, but your pastor is a TV star. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a few whistles, appreciate that. Uh, okay, uh, reality check. I was uh, briefly in a TV commercial uh, when I was six years old. But I did get paid, and that's the important part, uh, so now I am officially a TV star. Uh, I was in a commercial for Borden Burger Restaurants, which uh, is now a defunct fast food chain. You can draw your own conclusions between my appearing in the commercial and the fact that it no longer exists. Uh, but my big starring role was opening up a kid's meal and pulling out a little toy prize and saying, look what I got. And I think I got like $100 or something uh, for that work. Uh, unfortunately, uh, no agents have been calling, uh, trying to book me for future gigs. I've not received uh, any offers for anyone to write my biography, and uh, no one has sought out my autograph. Uh, I did briefly appear, uh, I think in junior high, uh, singing on a local cable access TV channel for some kind of a fundraiser, but I think even fewer people saw that. So it really is a shame uh, that I will probably never achieve uh, celebrity status, uh, mostly because that's what our culture celebrates. It's what we love, right? We want to be known, we want to be famous, and we're intrigued by people who are famous. Sometimes just famous for being famous is enough. Uh, we get caught up in who's dating whom and who's broken up with whom and Beyonce's pregnancy and who's having a Twitter fight with somebody else. And, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, there's just something uh, about our culture and us that uh, we love this idea of, of being known, uh, being recognized, identified. Uh, in fact, I discovered recently you can go online and hire celebrities to record a 30 to 60 minute greeting video for you. You can, you can go to this website and uh, I didn't do this because nobody that I could afford would have been anyone any of us would have heard of. Uh, but you could pay uh, $10, $50, $100, $500 to have sports stars or YouTubers or TV B-listers uh, record a greeting for you. Uh, it's nothing new. Uh, I remember uh, when I was growing up in the 80s, uh, the big thing was you could go to the mall or uh, like at some a big outdoor party or celebration or something, you could go and have your picture taken with a cutout of a politician. President Reagan was uh, the popular one. And my mom had one of these photographs. 
so there, we just, we want to be known. We want to be identified. We, we want to be significant. And, and if that's not even us being famous ourselves, it's by being connected to somebody that matters as, an, as important. And we can talk about, you know, how maybe silly some of this is, but I think there's something maybe really significant and important in that because we are actually made for awe, for recognition, for significance. The problem is that we tend often in our culture to seek it in shallow ways. Because I don't know if you heard it or not, but in this passage from Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about us shining, shining like stars. Not with our own glory, not with our own fame or renown or what we're good at, but shining the character of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is alluding to the Old Testament prophet Daniel. God had given Daniel this prophecy hundreds of years before. Uh, this picture of the Messiah, the Savior, who would come at the end of the age and raise those from the ground who had died, some to glory, he says, and some to contempt. But those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. And Paul is picking up that imagery here in Philippians 2, and he's saying that is about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus, it's really about us. Jesus shines with the glory of the Father, and one day we will shine with him in his presence. And because of that, he says, now here's how you ought to live to shine Jesus where you are today. Knowing what you will be shapes how you live where you are right now. That's what this passage is about in Philippians. And the question is, what does that look like? And how do we do it? That's what Paul's going to explain to us. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Grab one of those uh, black Bibles from the seat pocket, pouch, Bible holder thing, tray in front of you. And uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. We're continuing in this series, Light in the Darkness. And today we come to kind of the center of the book where Paul brings out this image of God's people shining as lights in the darkness. And so that's what we want to look at today. How do we do that and what does that look like? As I started thinking about this message, I wondered who are the biggest stars or celebrities or known people in our world? Uh, so I just did a quick search on some statistics from social media. Who has the most social media followers? On Twitter, uh, President Obama, Katy Perry, and Justin Bieber all have about 108 million followers apiece. On Instagram, uh, the soccer star, or if uh, you're European or the rest of the world, the footballer, uh, Ronaldo, has 181 million followers. And uh, Selena Gomez, the singer, has 156 million followers. I mean, those are impressive numbers. Uh, but honestly, I, I hear something like that. I look at the Twitter feeds and the Instagram, and it, and it just, 
It seems like a lot of work, frankly. Uh, like to constantly have to impress people and, and put myself out there and have something meaningful to say and, and sort of convince people to pay attention, right? Like that, that's what a lot of this is. It's all about reinforcing the value of the brand and I'm the brand. I become the product. And so I'm marketing myself. That's how we shine in this world by saying, look at me, pay attention to me. And there's something in us that responds to that because we are made for wonder. We're made for awe. We're made to be impressed, but we're too easily impressed. And I think what Paul is saying, first of all, is that if we're really going to shine what Jesus looks like, we're going to shine in a different way. We're going to shine not in putting ourselves forward, but in kind of a reverent awe of God. Shining like Jesus means we shine in a reverent awe of God, not of ourselves. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his pleasure. Work out your salvation, Paul says. It's from God. It's a gift. It's based on the work of Christ that we receive by faith. But it's not just something we receive, it's something we do, Paul says. The, the context makes it clear. This isn't about being saved. It isn't about, you know, work in a certain way to make sure that you're going to end up with Christ and, and do good enough. It's an ethical text. He's saying, here's how saved people live out their salvation. Here's how people live out knowing Christ in Philippi, in Indianapolis. And, and he's saying what God is calling us to do to work out that salvation, he empowers us to do as well. For these people, it meant particularly to get beyond all their squabbling and fighting and divisions, and, and we'll talk about that more. But notice he says, do that with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound very gracious. It doesn't sound much like the gospel. Well, it's Old Testament language that Paul is picking up. It's kind of this reminder warning about God's people in the Old Covenant and how they didn't walk before God with reverence and obedience. And now he's bringing that language forward from verses 9 to 11, remember, we, we've just seen every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And so this language of fear and trembling, I think Paul is saying, look, if, if that's what Jesus is worth, is that the response that he's going to get? Then we should really be living out our salvation in him with a kind of reverent wonder and seriousness, if I can put it that way. We don't live out the gospel casually or lightly. See, this, this isn't about fear of failure or fear that we're not going to make it or a loss of confidence. The gospel is God's work. And he's the one who's working in us and through us. But that's done on our part with a sense of awe and wonder and reverence towards God. Because... It's a desire to please God because of our love for him and because of what he's worth. 
And, and notice this isn't about us frantically trying to produce something in ourselves. It is God who works in you to do that. Isn't that amazing? Look at what Paul says there. When we come to faith in Christ, he's giving us this picture of how the Holy Spirit comes to live in us to change our minds and empower us to do what we could not do in ourselves. So that now we want to obey God and now we actually are able to obey God because he's the one in us energizing us, literally, in, in the Greek there, energeo, that's where we get our word energy. God is the one who empowers us to do what he's called us to do. One Christian author put it this way, grace is not opposed to effort, only opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort, if we can turn it around. Let me, let me see if I can help make sense of this. Any of you ever uh, been out on a lake, maybe in a kayak or a canoe? So it's a great way to get around, uh, beautiful to get out in the sun, and uh, it's awesome as long as you keep paddling. And you have to keep paddling because it's all on you. The effort is 100% yours, and as soon as you stop, you stop moving. And it gets tiresome and it gets burdensome. And I was out canoeing one time, I remember in Boy Scouts, and it was like a 50-mile river thing. And I just got to a point where like, I just want to quit. But I had no choice because the buses were at the other end. Now, there's another way that you can go out on the water. Anyone ever been sailing? Now, when you go sailing, you still are working, right? You have to pull up the anchor. You have to trim the sails. You have to pay attention to what's going on. But it's the wind that's providing the energy to take you where you need to go. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as being like the wind that blows and you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So we have work to do, but it's not all on our shoulders. And God is the one who's empowering us. That's why he's saying, so now work that out. If you find the Christian life, burdensome, defeating, discouraging. Maybe it's because you're just trying to do it at your own effort. And you're, you're gritting your teeth. You're, you're not relying on Christ. You're not asking for his help. You, you've just convinced yourself, you know, this, this is this list of rules that I have to follow in order to make God pleased with me. You cannot live a Christian life simply by trying to be good on your own because the demands are too high and my flesh, my sinful nature doesn't want it. But God comes to live in us, to will and to do according to his good pleasure. According to his good pleasure. What is it that is God's good pleasure? I mean, again, maybe it's hard for us to think of, you know, law and obedience and commands as something good. But what if God's good pleasure is what is actually good for us? What if God isn't a stern judge who's you know, like pointing his fingers at us? What if he's actually a loving father who says, my children, listen to me. Listen to me and, and walk in the way that is good and I will lead you to life. I want what is good for you. What if God is actually like a shepherd who is both strong and gentle and leads and directs us where we need to go because we're dumb sheep 
who don't know any better. Amazingly, that's exactly what the Bible says. God's good and pleasing will is that we would live. That's what Jesus said, right? I've come to give you life if you will listen to me. That's God's good and pleasing will for us. See, the world is saying, listen to your heart, follow your passion, you do you, believe in yourself, do what makes you happy. And God is saying, that's kind of a recipe for disaster in case you haven't already experienced it in your own life. What would really be radical in our culture would be to say, not my will, but God's will be done. What would really make you stand out, what would really make you countercultural, is to tell people, you know what, I am not following my heart because my heart is a mess. I mean, there's good stuff in it, but there's bad stuff in it too. I need someone who can shape my heart and lead me in a good way because I don't even know my own heart half the time. That's exactly what Paul is getting at. You really want to stand out? Shine like Jesus in reverent awe of God. Uh, I think about people that stand out, and uh, I am always impressed every time I get a chance to go to Chick-fil-A. I think part of the reason they are one of the most profitable and popular fast food chains around uh, is because of their customer service, frankly. I mean, have you been to a Chick-fil-A? They are almost annoyingly polite, kind, and respectful. Like they go out of, like they actually serve customers. Weird concept in our world, right? Like actual customer service. Let me do that for you. And even when people come in and they're grumbling and complaining, the response you get from them is, it's my pleasure. Now, they also have some secret addictive ingredient in their chicken that makes it impossible not to eat. But beyond that, I I think it's really a, a reflection of something that stands out in this world, right? Because you don't see that very often. This laying aside of self to say, I want to serve others, even in difficulty, in setting aside my preferences. I think that's the second thing Paul is saying here, that we shine in humility. We shine like Jesus as we reflect his humility. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And uh, maybe in the translation you have, it might say complaining or uh, arguing or muttering. That's really kind of a good uh, reflection of the Greek there. It's this uh, this word that sounds like murmuring. And I I am really, Amelia's making the face that I make because I'm really good at this. She's echoing me, right? Because I can be good at grumbling and muttering, where is that thing, and why does it, and how come those people aren't, and man, if that were a spiritual gift, it would be at the top of my list sometimes. I mean, Paul writes this to people who need to hear it, right, which is us. Now, the Philippians didn't have any major church blow up going on their hands. I mean, it's not like in Corinth where some guy's sleeping with his stepmother and, you know, there all this division and conflict, but there's something going on here because later in chapter four, Paul is going to say, you guys need to straighten out this conflict that you have with each other. There's some kind of grumbling and disputing and 
complaining and arguing and vying for position because that's us, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. We're always getting upset at the littlest things. I mean, go to, go to Walmart or just drive on the road or turn on the TV or listen to the news. I mean, all this anger and vitriol and resentment spilling out because those people and this is not right and how come you and how come they? And One writer said this, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates from the prison of self-preoccupation. Gratitude liberates us from the prison of being so focused on ourselves, which is what grumbling and complaining is about, right? Things aren't going my way. And, and, and I don't want to just grumble and complain about it. I, when I'm really upset, I want to go find somebody else to grumble and complain to. Because I want you to grumble and complain with me. I like you to murmur along. Yeah, that's literally what it is here. But Paul is saying, if, if we ask Jesus to help us put that aside and live in unity and harmony of the same mind, the same love, the same purpose, like Christ, we will shine because the world doesn't see that. Where in this world do you see people saying, you know what, I really disagree with that person, but I love them and I'm going to do my best to get along with them, even if I disagree with you completely? One of the things that might be helpful is uh, to stop and think, is this thing that I'm grumbling, disputing, complaining about, is it even really worth it? Because, man, I can get wound up about stuff that doesn't even matter five minutes after the fact. And, and then I just stew on it, right? And, and maybe one of the things that would help us is to take a step back and say, is this really worth the emotional energy I'm putting into it? And if it is, am I able to reflect Jesus in how I deal with it? Because Paul isn't saying, you know, never say anything and be a doormat and let people walk all over you. But he's saying, okay, if there is an issue, we would address it by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, doing nothing out of selfish ambition and empty conceit. In humility, consider others better than ourselves, just like Jesus did when he reached down to us. So that changes how I look at that stuff that I'm tempted to grumble and complain about. Is it really worth it? And if it is worth it, can Jesus help me reflect his humility and kindness and love for unity in how I go and talk to that person about it? So that you would be blameless and innocent. No, no charge against you. No, no serious accusation that could be lodged against you in a crooked and depraved generation. Ah, now we get to the good stuff. This is where we get to complain about how horrible the world is, right? Well, that's true, yes. I mean, Paul is acknowledging we don't live in heaven. We live in Philippi. We live in Indianapolis. And it's a broken, messed up world. But that's not his point. The point is the darkness is all around us and the darkness is in us too. And if we're going to shine, we have to allow Jesus to shine his light into the darkness in us. Because the darkness and the light can't live together. I mean, that, that, we've heard that in the Bible, right? So if we're going to shine, maybe we start by shining God's truth into our hearts first. 
before we go out and start shining it at other people. You know, like give me a 10,000 watt LED, you know, one of those TV by flashlights and you know, that you can blind people with a half a mile away. What if I shine that at me first? Well, that, that might hurt. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Am I willing to let God shine maybe a sometimes painful light into my own heart to help me see stuff that I need to deal with so that I could reflect more of him? You know, it's good every now and again just to do a checkup. Like, when is the last time I, I really seriously repented of something? Not just, God, forgive me, but God, I hate what this is doing in me, and I hate what it's doing to other people, and I hate what it ends up saying about you to people who are watching me. God, help me, help me hate this sin as much as you do so that I could reflect more of your light. What if I took time to think about myself and explore myself that way before I, you know, tried to talk about the darkness out there because you know, I, for years I thought I had this spiritual gift of discernment. It really just turned out I was a self-righteous jerk uh, because I could see what everyone else's problem is, right? There's nothing special about that. Everyone does that. I mean, that's the way we all are. Oh, look at the darkness in them and in them and in the world and everything that's wrong with those people. Big deal. You really want to shine? What if you were willing to say, God, help me see the darkness in me and help me to hate it and, and turn from it and, and know your peace and your life and help me to let go of the stuff that really isn't that big a deal. That would make us shine like stars in a selfish, self-preoccupied culture. Back when I worked in the corporate world before going to seminary, I, I flew occasionally for business and, you know, of course, sometimes we take trips to, to go see family. And um, I don't know if those, these things are still around, uh, but there was this one particular ad in airline magazines that was always, and it was like a big centerfold, you know, this guy was, must have paid thousands of dollars. It was uh, for some negotiation strategy seminar. And I, I just remember the tagline of it because it stood out. You don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. Yeah, that's true. That is the way this world works. You don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate, so stand up for your rights and don't let people push you around and tell them what you need and what you are demanding. You know, I... Uh, had an opportunity uh, a number of years ago before uh, coming to faith, we were, were exploring the possibility of a fit for a ministry position at another church. And we got to the point of sitting down and talking through salary and benefits. And um, one of the leaders of the church was kind of, you know, in this conversation said, okay, let's get down to brass tacks. Obviously, you want to make as much money as you possibly can. And obviously, we want to bring you here for as little money as possible. Yeah, that was kind of my response in the moment. I thought, okay, I, I get that, like from the negotiate and get what you can, you know, grab for mentality of the world, but it honestly took me back. It took me aback. And I, I just thought, wow, I, 
I mean, that was part of what helped us realize this is probably not the right fit for us in terms of a church culture, because that's not why I'm here. I mean, yes, I, I, my family needs to be fed and I need to earn a decent living, but I'm trusting that God will do that and the congregation will be responsible to do that, and God has graciously done that faithfully. But, but that attitude that, like, well, obviously you want to get as much out of us as you can, I, I just want to say, wow, that's not... That's not me, and if that's what you think pastors are, and that's kind of your view, that maybe we're not lined up in the right way. Because that's the way the world works. I mean, I understand it. That, that's business, right? But I think Paul is saying we shine in a different way. We shine in self-sacrifice that also reflects Jesus. holding fast to the word of life in verse 16, so that on the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. For even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith, I am glad. I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Hold fast to the word of life. God has given us his word his word that leads us to life and his word that will bring us to life eternally. And what Paul is saying is because we have confidence in the end, now we can be committed and secure in the present. We, we know, we know that Jesus is going to bring us home. So now live out of that confidence here and now, recognizing that this life is not the end of the story. So that I will know I, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I did not spend my life running after what was literally empty or, or worthless or of no account, Paul says. I know what that is because I tend to do that during my uh, home improvement projects. Uh, I will not plan ahead well enough. We, we saw a show last night, in fact, of a guy, an Irish guy who bought this castle and he was going to restore it. He refused to hire an architect. He just had this idea in his head. And they ended up having to go back and tear walls out and rebuild them and tear this out and redo that and rebuild that. And, and this wasn't right. And uh, I do that with my home projects. Uh, like, oh, I, I did that wrong, now I've got to move this wall, and I forgot to turn off the breaker, so, you know, I short-circuited a thing and fried a pair of pliers, and I frankly spend half of my home improvement projects walking around looking for tools that I've placed somewhere more than I spend actually getting the project done. Like, literally walking in circles, laboring in vain to, to no purpose. And Paul is saying... It's possible to spend your life building really beautiful, elaborate sand castles. Building your life around things that may look nice, but ultimately are going to perish and have no real significance. And he says, that's what I want us to avoid. You shine. You shine when you give yourself, when you invest yourself in what really matters, in what really matters. Even to the extent, Paul says, of this imagery being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith. Now, commentators are still scratching their heads how to exactly make sense out of this and why this is here. 
But it seems to be just basically this, this imagery again of just as Jesus poured himself out to save us, the, the Philippians are suffering in some way for their faith, and Paul is suffering for them, and, and he says he's glad to be able to give himself, to give his life, to pour himself out for their sake. That that's actually joy, that's actually life-giving. And it can also be read as holding out the word of life. Because that's part of what's going on here, too. In this world, everyone is selling something. Everybody's got a secret, a plan, a program, a way to make life work. And Paul is reminding us, we actually have the answer. We have the words of life. Just like Peter said to Jesus when the disciples started turning away and he turned and asked Peter, are you going to leave too? And he said, Lord, where would we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. God entrusts his people with the words of life for the world, the only words of life. Think about it. The only word of life for the world. That is worth investing our lives in and sacrificing and giving ourselves for. Just as God has done for us. We shine like stars as we point people not to ourselves, not to our accomplishments, not to how big I am, how impressive I am, but to Jesus and to the words that bring life. That's what shines. There's a blessing that comes from following Jesus in that way, even in the middle of suffering and difficulty and trials. There's a joy that comes from seeing God use you to make a difference in other people's lives. I, I know that you all know that, whether, whether it's faith student ministries, teens going to shepherd mission uh, for the summer, or uh, adults and teens going on short serve and learn trips abroad, or, or whether it's right in our neighborhoods, being a blessing to our coworkers and our friends. And God has given life to us to pour into other people. But that means it's going to be poured out of us. And Paul is saying we shine when we are willing to pour Jesus' life out of us into others. And it doesn't diminish the supply, but it's hard, and there may be a cost to it. And Paul says, yet I am glad and I rejoice with you, rejoice with me in that. Honestly, we want to protect ourselves from suffering, right? We, we want to avoid pain, we want to avoid difficulty, we want to avoid discomfort. We, we want to go sit on the couch and have nice conversations and have good food and, and pleasant experiences and nice circumstances, and none of those things are wrong or bad in themselves. But we shine. We shine when we reflect Jesus' sacrificial self-giving to a world that is dying to know this word of life. And what that looks like is it changes all our priorities, all our goals, all our attitudes, what we think it means to be important and recognized. And God shakes all that up when we come to know him. 
in a good way, in the best way. You are made to shine. And one day you will shine with the glory of Christ eternally, sinlessly, forever. And because of that, because that's who you are and will be, now we can live that out as God works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure so that we would shine the humility, the love, the self-sacrifice, the reverent awe of God to a world around us that is dark and so desperately needs light. Shine, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you have shined the light of Jesus into this world, into our hearts, into our lives. Oh, Father, help us not to hide our light under a basket, but set it on a lampstand so that all could see it. Father, thank you. Thank you that you know you love us. You are at work in us. Be at work in us, Father, to shine Jesus into our worlds. We pray in his name. Amen.